0: So as you turn there, I'm going to just take a couple of steps back to where Pastor Mitch had covered last week. He covered uh, verses 1 through 8. We're going to actually pick it up in verse um, 5 and read down to verse 15. So the Word of God reads as follows, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. But when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men your trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, Lord, we come and thank you for the freedom and the ability to read your word publicly. And we are grateful, Lord, that we can worship you and that we can honor you, and that we can receive from you. And as we have gathered here, both online and together in this room, you are here with us. You have said where two or three have gathered in my name, you would be among them. Lord, reveal yourself, show yourself this morning to us that we may understand your nearness and be aware of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This certainly is a familiar passage of Scripture. In fact, many of us may have grown up praying this out loud in church, you know, reciting it uh, as a form of liturgy or something like that. And I hope that this morning that the Lord is going to help bring some clarity to us. You know, this matter of prayer sometimes can be an intimidating issue for us as believers because it's one of those things that's kind of on our list, right? We all have this list of things that we feel like we should do more of or be better at. And prayer is probably on that list. And we wanna talk this morning about prayer as as Jesus talked about it and explain it because he was trying to bring it down to the level of the people and help the people understand what prayer truly is. And as we get into it this morning, I wanna make you aware that there's a few words used for prayer in the Bible. One of those words that's used for prayer is thanksgiving, a type of prayer, and that's the idea of being grateful and acknowledging that gratefulness to God, and certainly when we bow our heads to pray for our meals, hopefully we're doing that. We're practicing being thankful. You know, we even have a holiday, right? Thanksgiving. That usually is more of a uh, just a, a massive feast, but hopefully, you know, we take time apart to thank God, but thanksgiving should be, hopefully, something that's a part of our lives. That we don't just thank God when we, we pr- uh, pray for our meal, but we are thanking God for other things uh, uh, in our lives as we, as we pray to Him. Now, one thing about prayer, to sort of demystify it, in case it's something that's sort of clouded in our minds, is that I think the easiest and the best way to think of prayer is that prayer is simply the form of communication that God has given us to use with him. You know, at the human level, if we think about our human relationships and our families or with friends, what is that method of communication that we have with people? It's really basically two things. It's spending time with one another and it's, it's conversing. It's having conversation, right? We break it down to its basic levels. And prayer is all about Spending time with God and conversing with Him. In fact, if we make it even simpler, we could simply say that prayer is just talking with God. And in conversation, there's points where I'm talking and you're listening, and then there's points where you're talking and I'm listening. And we need to think of our relationship with God in that same way, that yes, there might be times when we are speaking, but there should be times when we are not speaking. And we are just listening to the Lord minister to us through his word. And we have times of silence before him. So one of those methods or uh, ways that we have of prayer is thanksgiving. Another word that's used in the scriptures is the word And that word means to uh, to seek or to ask, to bring a request to God most often. It's just to, to bring a need. And when you um, Look through the, the Bible, there's a bunch of places, but here's one of them, Acts 1.14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So when we come to God, it's, it's sort of understood that we are going to come to him with needs. We are needy people, and after all, we are the created, he is the creator, and so we come before him to supplicator, to bring our needs. Another word is the word intercession. And that word specifically means to make a plea for someone else. So that's when we go before God and mention someone else's name or we pray for them and their situation. Um, So that type of prayer is called intercession. And it's like making an appeal. It's like saying, hey, uh, I understand you have a difficult situation. Maybe we want to come in and be an arbitrator Uh, you know, in someone who's having a a difficulty in their relationship with another person. And so we want to come in between there and say, hey, I'm here to be a peacemaker or, or to be someone who can help bring clarity to the situation. And in like manner, intercessory prayer is prayer where we are praying for other people. And as is usual, God himself sets the standard. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Likewise the spirit also helps in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray but we should we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered so you see by God's amazing and wonderful grace the spirit of God prays for us and I don't know if you've ever had these times I have them all the time where I come before the Lord and I and I'm praying and I just kind of go, Lord, I don't even know what to pray for right now. I feel so helpless. I, I feel so overwhelmed. And then I, I say, Lord, it says in your word, your spirit prays for me. I just kind of lean into that right now and ask you, Lord, whatever, whatever the spirit is praying, Lord, I just agree with that. I don't know what it is, but I, I agree with that. And so he goes on to talk about that again in verse 27. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. How many times have you and I not been aware or, you know, wanted to know what is God's will for me in this situation or in my life or in this decision I'm facing Listen, we can lean into Romans 8:26 and 27 and rest in the fact that the Spirit of God is interceding for you and me according to the will of God. So I may not know how to pray or what to pray for as I ought, but the Spirit prays for me. And, you know, sometimes when we pray like in a group, as we do on Wednesday nights, you know, we're not praying for the other people to hear us. We're praying to the Lord. But often one of the benefits of praying in a group, as we may have shared our needs, and you know, I know how I've been praying for the need that I've just shared with the people, but I hear someone else pray, and you know what it does? So often that it encourages me because they're praying for my need in a way that I hadn't thought about. And it's just a great encouragement to have intercessory prayer. But as if it weren't enough that the Holy Spirit is praying for us, we are told in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Therefore, he, that is Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he, Jesus, always lives to make intercession for them. So we have this picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God now until God sends him back to come and take his church home. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for you and me. So we have two of the three persons of the Godhead praying for us on a regular and a continual basis. That ought to stimulate and encourage and spark our prayer life. It shouldn't make us lazy. Okay, well, you know what? They're praying for me. I don't have to. No, we should lean into that and say, Lord, I'm so grateful. Lord, clue me in. What should I be praying about? How should I be praying? So there's the idea also of petition. The idea of petition is bringing specific requests, me bringing specific requests before the Lord. You see, supplication is sort of like I just come to the Lord and it's like I'm talking, it's like general conversation. But petition is coming and making specific requests. Lord, I can't pay my bills this month, please help me. We bring specific things before him. And then we have just the word that is used in the scripture that we see translated pray or prayer. And that word typically is the generic word, and its, its core meaning is to worship. And so you see, prayer is an element of worship. So as we come and we pray and we talk to the Lord, there's, there's worship. There's bringing general needs. There's bringing specific needs. There's, there's coming and interceding for others. There's different types of prayer. You see, the Lord has it all covered. And so as we come to this passage today... In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And when you pray, that's the general word for prayer that's used all throughout this passage that, that encompasses everything. And he says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. You see, the Lord has a different standard for us, and he talks about three groups of people here. He talks about us as believers, he talks about the hypocrites, and he talks about the heathen. And he he alludes to the fact that all three groups, all three types of people pray, but there's a different quality to their prayer. And you, that is those who love God and we believe in Jesus, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue. So they do their praying so that other people will see them. You see, they had times of prayer throughout the day, uh, the 6th hour, the ninth hour, etc. You know, so 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. Were, were times of prayer. And it was well known throughout the Jewish culture. In fact, people would, would ma- try to make it in that culture to the temple or, or somewhere to go and pray, a local synagogue. And if they couldn't make it, they would just stop on the way wherever they were at 9 a.m., noon, or at 3 p.m. and pray. But the problem was a lot of these people Uh, A lot of these religious hypocrites would intentionally time it so they would stop on the busiest street corner and then pray there. And they did it to be seen by men, and that's what Jesus was calling out. And so as uh, he says this to them, he says, listen, when you pray, don't be like that. Don't do it to be seen. In fact, I I have known in the past that there were people who, didn't come to prayer meetings because they were afraid to pray in public. They were afraid they wouldn't be able to pray good enough. And listen, that's never the issue. It's never the issue how you pray or if you pray eloquently or you don't have like a good kind of shtick in the way that you pray. That's that's not important. Prayer is communicating with God. You just pour out your heart to Him. You talk to Him as you would anyone else. And Jesus is going to help us understand that as we go through this prayer, or what he says, pray in this manner. So they pray to be seen by others. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their rewards. So a hypocrite is someone who wears a mask and they act. And so hopefully we are not doing that. Hopefully we are not the pretenders in church. Hopefully what you see is what you get. That's an old term from a long time ago. I just dated myself with it. We used to call it WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. So here's your first point. Be a WYSIWYG Christian. What you see is what you get. Verse 6. But you, when you pray, here's God saying, I have a different idea for you. I want you to go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So God is saying here, you're going to be different. I have a different way for you, child. You go into your room to a quiet place. The word here was literally the storehouse or the storeroom. The point being, go to a quiet place. You know, we, we've talked before. Pastor Minch mentioned it last week. You know, pray wherever you are. Pray in your car. But the idea here in what's being expressed is that you get alone with the Lord. You find a quiet place to be alone with Him. He says, when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret. The idea of being secret is hidden, concealed, or private. You see, He wants us to be a certain person, to be a certain way in private because there's an old maxim, a principle, that says who you are in private determines who you are in public. You see, we don't... The hypocrites, it's the other way around. We try to be something in public that we aren't in private. But God always wants our character and our nature, who we are in private, to be reflected in our public persona. Chuck Swindoll, Pastor Chuck Swindoll, many years ago, wrote a little book. It's about maybe 80 pages, as I recall. It's called Intimacy with the Almighty. And in that book, he just wrote it around this whole idea of relationship with God. You know, as Christians, we have a saying, right? It's about relationship, not religion. And in this little book, he sort of wrote to answer that. And he came up with four principles, all alliterated with the word S. Simplicity, silence, solitude, and surrender. Simplicity, silence, solitude, and surrender. And I believe... Mr. Swindoll got to the heart of the issue here when Jesus said, go into your your room, close your door, go into the secret place. And I think that's what Jesus is saying to these people because they lived in a society where only those who were in the Sanhedrin or those who were the learned or those who were the religious elite, you know, those who went to seminary, those who went to Bible college, those who were the religious educated, they were the ones we kind of looked up to. The rest of us just kind of meander through life and hope we're saved. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you go to your father. In fact, prior to Jesus mentioning this idea of our father or your father, this was not even talked about in Jewish culture, Jewish society. The idea of God being our father was like anathema, means it was off limits to them. For them to refer to God in an intimate way, to use the word Abba or father, would have been sacrilegious. And here Jesus is teaching the people, saying, no, 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 you have a relationship with your heavenly Father. So immediately Jesus is pointing them, he's pointing us to the fact that we have this vertical relationship with God. And you're saying, now wait a minute, we just sang it, God's in heaven. This is in the book of Ecclesiastes, you're in heaven, I'm on earth, I should let my words be few. Because why? Because you're God and I'm not. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Adam Clark said, Prayer is the most secret intercourse of the soul with God, and as it were, the conversation of one heart with another. The world is too profane and treacherous to be one of the secret. We must shut the door against the world and endeavor to forget it and go into the most secret place to be alone with God. A.T. Robertson said, Uh, This is referring to a separate apartment or a private chamber, a closet or a den where we can withdraw from the world and shut out the world and commune with God. And this implies something that is deliberate, something that we do that's intentional. And you see, it's important to do this. In fact, as we read through the Gospels, and I would encourage you while we're going through Matthew to read the book of Matthew, read the other Gospels and understand that Jesus himself often got alone. He went aside to a lonely place to pray many times. And that's because he wanted to be alone with his father. Yesterday, in our men's study, we were looking at Psalm 27 after we had eaten breakfast together. And the last verse of Psalm 27, which we spent a bit of time talking about, was, Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You see, this secret place, that's where this happens. We read it this morning in Psalm 40. That wasn't planned. We're just going through the Psalms. Next week it'll be Psalm 41. But today, Psalm 40 and God's divine providence lined up with where we are. In Psalm 40 it said that uh, we should go into the secret place and wait upon God. You may recall the Uh, Old Testament, where the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 26, Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. Do you ever feel, feel overwhelmed? Do you ever feel like you just don't have answers or you have things that you have questions about and you need answers for, but they aren't coming? We go into the secret place and we wait upon the Lord. There's this amazing story in Second Kings, excuse me, chapter 4, where Elisha was ministering to the household of this widow. And this widow had a couple of sons and she had a great need. And this situation was very much like many of us face in our lives. There was a famine in the land and she was out of money. She had nothing. There was no coronavirus stimulus bill coming her way. She had nothing. And they were going to starve. There was no money left to buy food. In fact, there was very little food to be bought. Second Kings chapter 4, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and then pour it into all those vessels. So she had one little vessel of oil, you see, one little like cruet, like you might put on your table for oil and vinegar. She said, that's all I've got. And he says, now take all these vessels go into your room and take that one little vessel of oil and just begin to fill up the other vessels of oil, the other empty vessels that you've gathered. Now you stop to think about this and you go, that's dumb. Right? Isn't that the way we think? We're like, how's that going to help anything? So here's what happened. He says, when you have come, you go into the secret place, you shut the door behind you, you and your sons, and then you pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Well, Believe it or not, as crazy as it sounded, she did what he said. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full, all the vessels they went out and gathered. She kept pouring and the oil kept coming. How does that happen? When they were full, she said to her son, okay, bring me the next vessel. And he said, well, there's no more. That's it. And it says, then... In that moment, the oil ceased. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons, and live on the rest. What's the point? The point here is that the Lord used this man, the prophet Elisha, to minister to her and told her to do something that required great faith, didn't it? You know how much was oil. I've got four ounces of oil, Lord, and I've got 27 little vessels that I just got, and People need oil, and it's it's a commodity. I can sell it. And how's this going to work? I don't know. Well, just go do do it. Do what God said. Be obedient to the word of the prophet, to the word of the Lord. And you see, folks, these things happen in secret. God gives us answers in secret. He meets our needs in secret, and this is what He wants to do. And then He says in verse six, Matthew six, uh, chapter six, verse seven. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do. The word there means idle babblings, because they think they will be heard. Notice there, so first he talked about the hypocrites, and now he says the heathen. So he's saying the heathen, that is the people who don't know God, who have no relationship with God, they still pray, but their manner of praying is just repetition, it's just reciting prayers. Now we can take anything that God has given us, In His Word, we can take the great prayers of Scripture and we can make them idle babblings. We can make them vain repetitions. They're not sacred because of the words. They're sacred because we follow what God said, that when we come before Him, that we pray heartfelt prayers and that what we're saying are not just words that we're repeating because we've memorized a chant or a mantra. It's because we have a relationship and we're speaking to Him. Think about it every day in your home if you walked through your house as you got up in the morning or as you go to bed at night and you say, love you, but you don't mean it. You're just uttering the words because that's what you're supposed to say. But if you say, man, I love you, man, I'm so blessed, you then, you know, there's heart behind that. And that's what he's talking about when he says vain repetitions. So verse 8, therefore, do not be like them. Your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So we understand that God knows, but He still wants us to come to Him. You know, the the logical question here might be, well, if God knows, then why should I bother praying about them? Well, if you've been married for any length of time, or you've been in the family any length of time, you know each other fairly well. Why should you talk about certain things? Well, you already know what I think and I know what you think, so why bother? Let's just cut to the chase and not talk about it. Well, no, we, we have a relationship, right? And we want to have conversation. You know, sometimes our thinking changes on a matter or maybe some new piece of information comes to light or maybe we begin to feel that the time is up for this and there's a new season coming into our lives and we need to change the direction or focus of our lives. So we need to talk. And he says, therefore, do not be like them. Don't make vain repetition. Your Father knows what you need of before you ask Him. In this manner, verse 9, therefore pray. Now, when He says, in this manner... He's not giving them a repetitive prayer. He's saying, in this manner, pray in this way. These are the things you should think about when you pray. So he says, in this manner, this is how you should pray, not necessarily what you should pray. Now, I want to mention this. Over in Luke chapter 11, there is another account that's very similar to this one. There are some people who believe that these accounts are parallel, that they're talking about the same thing, just a different gospel account. But there's others who believe that in Luke's gospel, where Luke talks about a very similar thing, what we call the disciples' prayer or the Lord's prayer, as some name it, that that may have happened as much as a year later. So it would certainly be reasonable to think that Jesus didn't just teach about prayer one time in three years and assume they got it and moved on. So, it is highly likely, of course, that he taught about prayer multiple times to his disciples. In fact, in the Luke uh, gospel, it says, Lord, teach us to pray. So, Jesus here is, is coming to them saying, I'm going to teach you how you should pray. And in the other account, they have come to the Lord and they've said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I want to point out something. They didn't come to the Lord and say, Lord, teach us how to do miracles. Lord teach us how to have great faith. Teach us how to heal people, God, show us show us how that works. He says, "No, I'm going to teach you how to pray." Because strength comes from God. Forgiveness comes from God. Strength comes from God. And so I'm going to show you how to go to God to get what you need. We do typically call this, and maybe it says in your Bible, you know, something like the Lord's Prayer. What I would like to think of as the Lord's Prayer is in John 17, Jesus prayed this prayer on the evening before his crucifixion. I, I prefer to call that the Lord's Prayer, or some have called that the high priestly prayer. I think this would be better known as either the model prayer or the disciples' prayer as a more accurate way of thinking about this. Something to notice as Jesus teaches us about prayer here in these verses, that the pronouns, us and our, we, these are all plural pronouns. So he's teaching us that as people who love God, as people who are in the family of God, we are connected to one another. He's saying that this is something that we as his children should be doing. This is a we thing, not an I thing, not a me thing. Prayer is something that God intends to be a part of his family. So that's important for us. Now, the first thing Jesus says here is he says, our Father in heaven, as I mentioned a moment ago, the idea of mentioning God as our Father was something that was very foreign to them. To us, perhaps it's a little more personal. In this chapter here, chapter um, 6, 12 times, Jesus mentions the name of his Father. In Matthew's gospel, 44 times the name of the, of the Father is mentioned. In Mark, five times. In Luke, 22. But in the gospel of John, 122 times. Why do, why do we care? You see, John presented a picture of Jesus in his relationship with his Father in the Gospel of John. And that's why when I encounter new believers or or people who maybe who just have never really grown in the Lord, I say, go read the Gospel of John. Go spend some time there because that gives you such a wonderful picture of Jesus himself and his relationship with his Father. So here, Jesus speaking, calling God his Father 12 times in this chapter. And he says, first of all, our Father who is in heaven, right, So we need to remember as much as God is our friend that says in other places that he is our friend, but we need to understand that God is in heaven. God is high and lifted up. God is holy. In fact, he says, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed or holy means to be set apart. You see, God's name is to be held in high regard by us. So he's set apart. He's sacred. His name is holy. And I need to see him and think of him as holy. He's not my personal wish granter. I think sometimes in our modern society, we tend to migrate that way in our thinking or even in our praying. You know, God is not here to say, hey, what do you need today? No problem. It's, you know, like our dad. Hey, dad, I need 10 bucks. Okay, here's 10 bucks. It's not like that. Now, God does love us and he does meet our needs, but we need to understand that there's an order to things here, that God is holy. He created me. He's not here for my beck and call. I'm here for His. When I understand that I'm here for His pleasure, then I'm freed to enjoy His presence. Notice here, He says, your, 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 your name. Verse 10, your kingdom, your will. You see, the Lord wants us to understand that when we come to Him, our first concern should be the holiness and the name of God, the the glory of God, the, the fame of God, the renown of God, his reputation. I don't have to defend his reputation. He's quite capable of that. But that should make an impression on me. And he says, your kingdom come. And Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God coming, and he spoke of it as both being an imminent, a now thing, that the presence of God comes to be among us, but there's also a yet future aspect to the coming of the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the purpose of prayer is to glorify God's name and to ask for help to accomplish his will on the earth. Too often we approach it as, God, okay, here's my list of stuff I have needs uh, uh, for you to help me with. Lord, here's the the stuff I need help with. And we just kind of rush into his presence and say, here you go. If you could help me with that by 5 o'clock, that'd be awesome, Lord. Thanks. See you later. And I think Jesus wants us to understand, you know, that's not the way we treat our Heavenly Father. So this prayer begins with God's interests, not ours. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will. Prayer, someone said, is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. Jesus, of course, in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. James later wrote uh, in James chapter 4, he said, instead you ought to say if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. That idea of Being submissive to the Lord, you see, prayer relating to and communicating with God is to bring his will from heaven to earth, from his realm to my life. After I have understood and acknowledged these things, I'm now in the proper frame of mind to come to him and to begin making requests of him. We need to put God's concerns first before we bring our own to him. And then in verse 11, we begin to pray. He says, Lord, pray in this way. Give us this day our daily bread. And I believe Jesus here is sort of hearkening all the way back to when the children of Israel were in the wilderness after they had left Egypt. And you remember they were out there, several million of them, in the middle of the desert, in the wilderness, and they had nothing. They had no water. They had no food. They had just obeyed the word of the Lord. God had just delivered them through the Red Sea from the army of Pharaoh. He had done great and awesome and miraculous and wonderful things. And now here they are with nothing in the middle of the wilderness. And what did God do? He provided manna for them daily, didn't he? And then he provided water from the rock to give them sustenance. And when Jesus says here, give us this day our daily bread, I think he wants us to understand we are dependent upon God for everything. Pastor Mitch, if you missed the, the sermon last week, go back and listen to it. It was a wonderful, masterful sermon talking about the idea of giving and alms and what is all that about and understanding that everything we have comes from the hand of God. Everything. We have nothing except that it first came from his hand. And so this idea of asking God to give us our daily bread, daily manna. Later, after this time, there would be when God gave uh, Moses the model of the, the tent of meeting, which later became the model for the temple. There was a place that there was a table and there was a thing called the showbread. And that was sort of a picture, one of the pictures of God's presence and how God met their needs. He fed them. And then later, Jesus said, uh, quoting from the Old Testament, he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus then later said in John chapter 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. So Lord, give us this day our daily bread, certainly referring to daily physical sustenance, but also understanding that we need spiritual sustenance as well. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this points us to the fact that we have daily need of cleansing. In fact, this is sort of troubling if you think about it. You get up in the morning and the first thing you start thinking of is, Lord, I need forgiveness. Well, I just barely get out of bed, Lord. I haven't even been awake long enough to sin. But you're going to. So you come to the Lord with this idea of understanding that I'm always indebted to God. And we need to make sure we have this straight in our minds. You see, God is not beholden to us. It's we who are beholden to him. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He's going to come back to that at the end of this passage. But understand this. We need to understand that I need forgiveness. I need daily forgiveness. And just as I need daily forgiveness and just as for sure I will do something that offends God, so will other people, right? Don't other people bother us every single day? Now, there's no distinction here between those who are Christians and those who are not Christians. Those who are believers, those who aren't believers. He says, we need to learn to forgive, period. We need to learn to forgive those who offend us, to those who are debtors to us. I've been forgiven, therefore I am to forgive, period. You see, it doesn't matter if they even ask us. I'm just to forgive. Now, before I ever came to God and said, Lord, forgive me, and I you know, however you want to think of it, you know, pray that prayer of salvation, ask Christ into my life, you know, however that works. Before I ever did that, there's this beautiful verse in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God forgave me before I even knew that I needed to ask for forgiveness, right? Just a little amen. Anybody got an amen here this morning? All right, anybody awake? All right. So, there you go. Sound guy's awake. And therefore, because God has forgiven me before I even knew to ask, and then I come in and he's saying every morning now, I want you to come. I want you to come and say, okay, Lord, I'm here. Before I sin, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus is going to tell us a bunch of parables later as we get into the parables where he's going to point to the fact that we so often go out, someone offends us and we want to make sure everybody knows that person offended me and until they come and kneel before me and ask for my forgiveness, I'm not going to give it. Well, has God treated us that way? I mean, we we sort of depend on the fact, God, you're so merciful, Lord, you're so loving, I'm so grateful. You, however... Kneel and beg for my forgiveness, and perhaps I will grant it. No, it's backwards. I've been forgiven, therefore I must forgive. Someone said, Grace received becomes grace bestowed. I need to forgive because I've been forgiven. Verse 13 do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power of the glory and the glory forever, amen. You see, these verses here talk about the past, the present, and the future, don't they? When I'm asking God for forgiveness, so often it's for things I've already done. As I get up in the morning and I begin to turn my attention toward the Lord and I think, oh yeah, yesterday, Lord, man, I got I got upset and I said a swear word or I got upset and I got angry or whatever it was, like, and you begin to think, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm I'm here again. I'm asking for forgiveness. Well, that was in the past. But as we continue to pray, God's going to minister to us in the present. We're saying, Lord, lead me now. Lord, forgive me now today, and also, Lord, lead me in the things that are before me. And then there's the future. We've talked about the kingdom and the glory. You see, praying brings us an eternal perspective, doesn't it? When we get alone in God's presence, there's the past, the present, and the the future all summed up in the presence of God. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Hey, it reminds us of the fact that there is a devil, that there is evil, but that's not the issue. Yours is the kingdom of the power and the glory. You see, God trumps Satan every time. The devil wants us to think that Satan and Jesus are sort of like brothers who duke it out. And one day Satan wins and one day Jesus wins. No, 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 no. That's not the biblical picture. Satan is a fallen angel and a created being. Jesus is the son of God. Satan will bend underneath the foot of Jesus. In fact, Jesus will cast, there you go, there's another amen. Somebody's still awake. Jesus will be the one who one day casts Satan into the pit of hell and locks it with locks and chains forever and ever. When it says here, do not lead us into temptation, the word temptation literally means a test. It's not a solicitation to do evil. You see, God has promised that he would not do that to us. In 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In other words, when temptation comes, God provides an exit strategy with every temptation. And we need to be looking for that. We need to flee the temptations that come our way. James chapter 1 says that God does not tempt anyone to do evil. And in verse 14 and 15, he says, "'For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this verse sometimes confuses people. People think that this is a a condition for salvation, and I do not believe it is that at all. I think what Jesus is simply saying here is, if you've been forgiven, and we just talked about this, but you are unwilling to forgive, but now you come to God to ask for forgiveness for your sins while you're still holding someone else's sins that, you know, you're not forgiving them, then he's saying, you know what, I'm not going to forgive you until you go forgive them. And we need to understand this. You see, when we hold on to things, it morphs into bitterness, and bitterness morphs, morphs into anger, and we become sour, we become we become the kind of people you don't want to be around, quite frankly. Don't we all have someone in our lives who is like, I'd rather not hang out with them because they're just kind of sour people? Because they're always critical? They're always negative? And you wonder, what happened to them? Well, what happened to them, maybe some pretty bad things might have happened, but they held on to it, and they didn't learn to come to Jesus. They didn't learn to come to the foot of the cross and to understand That is, it says in in both Peter and James, you know, cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Cast all of your burdens upon him. And so when people offend us, when they do things to us, when they, they hurt us, when they wound us, whether that's physically or emotionally or spiritually, we need to, rather than hold on to it, let it go. You know, the counseling industry has made millions, if not billions of dollars on the you know, the need to sit down and and do talk therapy with people. You listen, I'm not uh, poo-pooing that because sometimes you need someone to talk to. But listen, if we would open this book and get alone in the quiet and the secret and allow God to instruct us, so often we would have him bring healing to our lives. Sometimes it's as simple as, there you go, three amens, we're doing good. can't do any more. The three's the magic number, Right. Allowing God to heal us. God can bring healing. God can bring correction. Ephesians four says, Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians three, verse twelve, therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even if Christ forgave you, so also you must do. As you have been forgiven, so you must forgive. Prayer is about being in fellowship with God. Prayer is not designed to inform God of things that he may be unaware of. Sometimes I've been in prayer meetings where people do that. They start, you know, Lord, you're aware, you know, this person who lives down at 123 Main Street, you know, my good friend. They're, you know, they have three kids and things aren't going so well in their lives. And, you know, one of the kids keeps rebelling, Lord. And you know, kind of tell the story, you know, and it's like, well, maybe in your prayer closet, that's a good thing to do. But understand that God knows these things, right? What is the point? When we come to him, what is the point? God, do you see what's happening over here? God, be gracious and merciful to them. Lord, is there some way we can reach them? Is there some way we can bring the hope of the gospel, that we can bring the peace of Christ, that we can bring the light of salvation to these people? And then you begin to realize the older you grow and the more you try to love and to reach out and to minister to people, it's not hopeless, but understand, until they come to the place of believing in Christ. Listen, with your kids, I've got four kids, done a lot of prayer for those kids, And I've realized that I've done my best to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Not a perfect thing, but I've done my best before God. And now they're adults and they're making their own decisions. And I realized I can't make them believe. I can't make them do the right thing, but I hope and I pray that what they saw and what they they learned and what they have heard and what they have received from me and from my wife and our house, I hope that it's, it's inspired them toward Christ and that they want their own faith and their own walk with Christ, but I can't make them do it anymore that I can make my neighbor down the street believe in Christ. So you see, prayer. Prayer is the way we get things done, meaning when we, listen, every one of us here has someone who doesn't know Christ, right? I gotta believe that. How do we, how do we break through that? We do it on our knees, in the quiet place, in the secret before God. That's where it happens. Someone has said wisely, we can never do more than pray until we have prayed. So before we go out and we solicit the help of someone else, hey, can you go help with this and do that and all that, and as wonderful as that may be, and those charitable deeds may be wonderful in bringing a witness to people, we need to pray about it first and bring it before God. Here am I on earth, you're in heaven, Lord. May I make my words be few. And may you hear as I speak, but more importantly, may I hear as you speak. And as I go into the secret place and I pray in this manner that Jesus has has given me, this way of approaching God, uh, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May I learn to reverence and holy hold in holy awe the name of God more and more each day. May I understand that he is sovereign. May I understand that nothing has ever, you know, God's not human. Too often we want to apply human qualities to him because I get distracted. He must have gotten distracted because something is too big for me and outside of my control. Maybe it's that way with God. No, 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 no. The reason we come to God is because nothing's too big for him. Is anything too big for the Lord? Is anything too great for the Lord? With God all things are possible. With God nothing is impossible. If God can take a virgin and make her have a baby who happens to be the son of God, isn't that pretty amazing? If God can take a little box lunch and feed 5000 people by simply praying, isn't that pretty amazing? Doesn't that point us to the fact that prayer being before God, just communicating with God, coming to God and saying, Lord, I've I've taken inventory and I ain't got much, but I got you. Will you do it, Lord? Will you save these people? Will you increase in my life, Lord, the blessings? Would you pour out your Holy Spirit in my life? Would you give me understanding of your word? Would you help me to walk with you, God? Prayer. Prayer. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us in groanings which cannot be uttered. And the Son of God ever lives at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for you and me. I hope that inspires you to pray. I hope that inspires you to seek the Lord. This morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you've never known the God of the universe, then we encourage you to bow your heart and just say, Lord, all this stuff may be kind of new to me, but I just, I, I want it. I want forgiveness. I want that kind of relationship. i have never had a relationship like that. And I pray that as I know he will, he would come into your life and change your life forever. That he would ruin you for this world and begin preparing you for heaven. And this morning, uh, I, I pray that none of us walk out of here feeling guilty or something like that because, you know, I hardly ever pray. I don't pray enough. Listen, just start making an appointment with the Lord just like you make a doctor's appointment, just like you make an appointment to have coffee with a friend. Make an appointment with God. Do your best to be faithful to that appointment. Find a time, find a place that works, but get into the secret place. Go into your room, close your door, and know that your Father who sees and hears in secret will hear and see you. And you will have fellowship that will far surpass anything that you've ever had on this earth. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning because you first loved us. Thank you for this amazing word, for this passage. Thank you, Jesus, for giving it to us. And may we learn to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and our Savior. May we grow closer to you, Lord. May we learn what it means to abide in you, to abide in the vine. We are the branches, you are the vine. And so, Lord, help us this morning to grow, to grow deep, to grow strong. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.